how many of you love to be an American? How many of you are still proud to be an American? Everybody except for that Canadian back there. Amen. My wife's friend's here and she's from Canada, so I got to pick on her a little bit. Amen. But we're glad that she's here today. And again, to all of our guests and family, we say a great big thank you. Amen. How many of you are thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Some of us may be out of our comfort zone because we're a little dressed a little more casually today. Maybe some of us, this is our comfort zone. But for whatever the case, we're here, we're together, and we're glad that we have an opportunity, amen, to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, amen, and worship together and hear the word together, amen, amen. It's good to be with God's people. It's better than the alternative. Amen. Thank you all for being here today. You can be seated. We'll get to the scripture in just a moment. Amen. You know, I remember hearing the sad news a few years ago, and maybe maybe you heard it earlier than I did, but see, the sad death of the Pillsbury Doughboy. Anybody heard that? You laugh, but it's not very funny. I wanted to share the obituary with you today and share this sadness. And for those of you that have never heard it, if you have, just enjoy it and laugh a little bit. But it says, today the Pillsbury Doughboy has died from repeated pokes to the belly. He was 71. Doughboy was buried in a lightly greased coffin. Dozens of celebrities turned out to pay their respects, including Mrs. Butterworth, Hungry Jack, the California Raisins, Betty Crocker, the Hostess Twinkies, and Captain Crunch. The gravesite was piled high with all types of flowers, not the types you typically would see at a funeral. Aunt Jemima gave the eulogy and lovingly described Doughboy as a man who never knew how much he was needed. Doughboy rose quickly in show business, but his later life was filled with turnovers. He was not considered a very smart cookie, wasting much of his dough on half-baked schemes. Despite many thinking he was a little flaky at times, he still, as a crusty old man, was considered a role model for millions. Doughboy is survived by his wife, Play-Doh, two children, John Doe and Jane Doe, plus they had one in the oven. He is also survived by his elderly father, Pop-Tart, and the funeral was held at 3.50 for about 20 minutes. That's sad. I don't know why y'all are laughing. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get spiritual for just a moment now. If you would, you can remain seated. I've got a little bit of scripture I want to read this morning, but Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to read in the Message Bible today. We'll read verses 1 through 9, and we'll skip down. But Joshua chapter 4, begin reading at verse 1. It says, When the whole nation was finally across, God spoke to Joshua and said, Select twelve men from the people, a man from each tribe, and tell them from right here, the middle of the Jordan, where the feet of the priest are standing firm. Take twelve stones. 
carried them across with you and set them down in the place where you camp tonight. Joshua called out the twelve men whom he selected from the people of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua directed them, cross to the middle of the Jordan and take your place in front of the chest of God. Your God, each of you, heft a stone to your shoulder, a stone for each of the tribes of the people of Israel. So you'll have something later to mark the occasion. When your children ask you, what are these stones to you? You'll say the flow of the Jordan was stopped in front of the chest of the covenant of God as it crossed the Jordan. Stopped in its tracks. These stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. The people of Israel did exactly as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of Jordan, a stone for each of the 12 tribes, just as God had instructed. Skipping down to verse 19, it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the month. They set up camp at the Gilgal to the east of Jericho. And Joshua erected a monument at the Gilgal using the twelve stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And then he told the people of Israel, In the days to come, when your children ask their fathers, What are these stones doing here? Tell your children, say, tell your children, this Israel that God brought out of Egypt, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. Yes, God, your God, dried up the Jordan waters for you until you had crossed just as God, your God, did at the Red Sea, which had dried up before us until we had crossed. This was so that everybody on earth would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is. And so that you would hold God in solemn reverence always. Always. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your presence that is in this place right now. God, I pray that you would move, God, today on each and every heart that is here. God, that you would stir us deep within. God, that we would be forever changed by being in your presence, oh God. God, we thank you for this opportunity today. I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay. God, as we deliver your word. In the wonderful, most precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Today, for just a little while, I want to talk to you on the subject, the main ingredient to our family recipe. The main ingredient to our family recipe. You can ask my wife. I am not a chef by any stretch of the imagination. I can make a decent grilled cheese. And I can promise you. You've probably never seen anybody throw a frozen pizza in the oven. Like this guy can throw a frozen pizza in the oven. But there is one thing I do know. And that is. It helps a whole lot that if you don't know what you're doing, they have what I hear is called a recipe. A recipe is a set of instructions that describes how to prepare or make something. And in this recipe, there are not only instructions, but ingredients. Ingredients that when combined with other ingredients, it will make something brand new. And if you do what the recipe says and you put in what needs to be put in, and if you follow the recipe, 
then you should get something close to what you were trying to make. You should. If you don't, then maybe cooking's not for you. Now, I know we have some Martha Stewart's in here and some Rachel Ray's, but some of us people still have to use recipes. Some of us still have to do preparations in the kitchen. It's not already there set out for us when we get there and ready to go. But some people just have a taste for cooking, and they put in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they can wing it. But for most average people, we need a little help. They have cookbooks where people put in a bunch of recipes, salads, appetizers, entrees, desserts, soups, anything you can think of. And people buy these books because they want all the recipes that are there. And they want to make what you were making. And they want to buy it because they want to see what it is everybody's going crazy about. And cookbooks are great and recipes are great. But there is something wonderful about a family recipe. There's something special about a recipe that's from your great-great-grandmother that's been passed down from generation to generation that you want to share with your children and your grandchildren and your nephews and nieces, and you want to share that family recipe. Not only does it have sentimental value, but it just seems like nobody can make it like Grandma can make it. Nobody can make it like great-granddad made it. Sure, you've had some good pie, but nobody makes a pie like great-grandma. Some of you have had memories of going into the kitchen with your mom or your dad or your grandparents, and you saw how they did it, and you watched as they prepared meals, and you would see grandma do it like this, and you would ask, why, why do you do that, grandma? And why do you put a toothpick in your mouth when you're cutting an onion or Why do you season with all of these seasonings when you're making this dish? And what does all of this mean on this recipe? And grandma was able to tell you, well, we put the toothpick in our mouth when we're cutting an onion so the tears don't begin to flow as badly. And grandma was able to tell you we do this so the food has good flavor. We put this seasoning on this so it has good taste. We do all of this so we can get the results that we want. And you need to be sure that when you get older that you tell your kids and that they can tell their kids and you can share this family tip, this family recipe. But for the kids to ask questions about it, they first have to see it in action or taste the result of it. If they do not see you doing it, they may never ask, what meaneth this? If the kids never see you in the kitchen stirring and putting in the work to provide them a meal, they may never ask, well, mom, why do you do it that way? Why do you put this in there? And why do you put so much of that in there? And if they never get a taste of what you know and love, then they will never ask, what meaneth this? How did all of this come to be? If they don't see it in action and they don't see you praying and they don't see you worshiping, your children may never ask you, What meaneth this? You may never have the opportunity to say, well, let me just go back and tell you where God brought me from. Let me go back and tell you where God saved my great granddad and he made a way for our family to be saved. Let me go back to the beginning where this recipe all started and I'm going to share it with you. There's a young girl who's a family friend of ours and the church they were going to, you know, Proverbs speaks of removing old landmarks and Unfortunately, the church that they had been going to had 
kind of slipped away from the ways that we like to have church and worship and prayer. And they went to general conference when it was here in Houston a few years back and the drama was taking place and the mom and dad who had been raised in church and they knew how to worship and they knew how to pray and touch God. But they had just went along with what everybody else was doing and they found themselves in a church that no longer prayed like they used to pray and no longer worship like they know how to worship. They were at this general conference in Houston and this drama was taking place. And in this drama, it began to talk about the Holy Ghost being poured out and the people began praying and worshiping and they began shouting on the on the set. And this young girl looked up at her mom and she may have been six or seven years old. She said, Mom, what are they doing? What's the Holy Ghost? And the mom choked back the tears and she said immediately right then and there when her daughter spoke those words, she realized there had been some landmarks that had been removed. There had been some memorials that had been taken down. And that kid was never able to see the power of prayer. That child was never able to see people shout in a church and rejoice because of the goodness of God. And it was then she made a decision that it's time that we find another church. It's time that we find somewhere that knows how to pray and knows how to worship. And you know what? They're going to church today and their daughter and their son, they know how to pray and they know how to worship because God made a way for a young girl to say, what meaneth this? Psalms 145 at verse 4 says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I love the story of Abraham and Isaac. It has always been one of my favorite. You can't ask me what my favorite Bible story it is because it changes all the time. Just, I just like it all. But Abraham and Isaac is such an incredible story. And Isaac, while he was still a young man, when he got to the top of that mountain that day, I found it amazing that Abraham knew what was going to take place. And Abraham knew the sacrifice that was going to come. But he tells the men at the bottom of that mountain, you stay here and watch our stuff. Me and the boy, we're going up to worship. We're going up there with a purpose to worship. And though Isaac was just a young man, when he got up to the top of that mountain, he knew what sacrifice was. He knew what it was to worship, and he knew what an altar was. I'm sure there were days where he went to Abraham and said, Dad, what is, what is all of this? What is this altar? And Abraham would explain to him what an altar was and the importance of an altar. And, well, Dad, why do we have to sacrifice our sheep? And not just a sheep, but our, our very best sheep, this, the most beautiful sheep that we have. That's the one we've got to sacrifice. Why, why is it that one? And Abraham would again explain to him why it is that we do this. Instead of just saying, because I said so. Abraham said, son, I want you to understand the importance of why we come to the house of God. Son, I want you to understand the importance of worship. I want you to understand that though it may be difficult at times, God is worthy of it. And we're going to give him all the praise and all the honor and all of the glory. And when Isaac got up there on that mountain that day... We know that Abraham had told all of this to him before because when they got to the top of that mountain that day, Isaac began to look around and he said, Father, I I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
I know I'm just a child, but I've seen Daddy do this enough to know what it takes. I know I'm just a child, but my eyes, I've been paying attention to what Mommy and Daddy have been doing, and I've seen Daddy build an altar before. I've seen him light the fire before, and I've seen him get down on his knees in our living room floor and begin to cry out to God. I've seen Mom open up that Word and begin to read the Word of God and speak that Word over our family. I've seen it time and time again, and I know because I asked Dad what all this was about, and he told me. He explained it to me. This was not Isaac's first encounter with an altar. He, like the children in our text, no doubt asked questions. There was a young boy who was at our Bible school, and his parents were instructors there, and he was three or four at the time, and he'd, they'd send him over and let him hang out with all the older guys and play basketball and all that, and the kid would constantly say, why? Why? Every response you gave him was why? Why? Now, he eventually grew out of that, but it was a young man who was seeking answers. It was a young man wanting to know, well, what meaneth this? Well, what's going on here? Well, well, in a child's mind, they are trying to understand life and they are trying to understand what all of this is about. And that's why it is so important that somebody pass them something down that is truth. That is why it is so important that you are on your knees praying. God, give me words to say. God, give me a vision. God, for my children, for my grandchildren, for my nieces and nephews, for my friends, for my neighbors, for my co-workers. God, I need it. But Isaac knew why we build altars and give sacrifices because daddy told him how. Daddy gave him a recipe to follow and told him that if he would follow it, God would bless him forever. Because daddy had been given a recipe and he followed it. This is what God said. He said, I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." What a blessing to know that your children will be blessed because of decisions you made at an altar a long time ago. What what a victory to know that your children will be able to go to the gates of their enemies and it will be theirs. What a blessing to know that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through your children and your grandchildren. That main ingredient was not left out of the recipe. One thing I know about recipes is... There are some things that you can do without. There are some things that if you don't have it, it's really not that big of a deal. And you can go on and still make a dish that's presentable and people can eat it. Believe it or not. You laugh, but some of you have had some stuff and you wondered. But there are some things. There are some things that are your main ingredients. They are the star of the dish, and without them, the whole dish will fall apart. Can I tell you, without the chicken, your chicken salad is just a salad? Can I tell you that without beef patties in there, you've got nothing but a decorated bun for your burger? 
This book right here, it is a recipe and it tells us how to get the results that we need. If we follow it and use it, we will succeed. And it's something we can pass down to our children and our grandchildren and tell them this is what the word of the Lord says. And I was young and now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg for bread. He's never failed me. He's been a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He made a way where there was no way. It's all because of this word right here. It's all because of the power that is in these words that changed my life. Amen. There's a main ingredient that without it, the rest of it just really does not matter. Because we see that main ingredient in verse 23. It said, the people had crossed on dry ground, just as they did at the Red Sea. But it was not in their own efforts. It was not in their own talents and abilities. It was not in who their mommy and daddy was. It's not who their pastor was. It is because of G-O-D. He said, yes, God, your God. He's the one that dried up the waters in the Jordan. He's the one that brought you out of Egypt. It was because of God that you were able to walk across that Red Sea on dry ground. I've come to understand that there's a lot of components to what we do around here. And Joshua said, I I understand. Understand that there's some things that we have to get involved in, but I also know there is a main ingredient that without it we will not survive, that without it we will not make it, and that main ingredient is G O D. It is God. Without God, I would have never made it out of Egypt in the first place. Without God, I'd still have chains on my life. Without God, I'd still be a drunk and a coward. Without God, I'd still be lusting. Without God, I'd still be addicted to drugs. But thanks be to God who found me. And He picked me up out of the miry clay. And He passed a recipe down to me. He showed me what it took to be saved. And He told me, you can pass this down to your children. This promise is for you. It's for your children. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Thank God for that ingredient. You can add some salt and you can add some good deeds and you can pray and you can worship and you can come to church every Sunday. But if God is not in it, you are wasting your time. I don't want to see the end result of that dish if God is not in it. Because without God, David never makes it to a giant because he gets mauled by a bear. Without God, Joshua sits outside walking around the walls of Jericho, hollering and talking to himself like a crazy man. Without God, Jonah never leaves the belly of hell. Without God, Joseph never makes it out of the pit. Without God, Gideon dies in fear in a closet. Without God in it, the three Hebrew boys die in a fiery furnace. Without God in it, Daniel gets mauled by lions. Without God in it, his disciples die at sea. Without God in it, we are not saved. Without God in it, we cannot have church. Without God in it, we cannot be healed. Without God in it, we cannot see our families saved. That main component it is necessary it is what our nation needs it is what our world needs it's what my family needs and it's what I need. God I don't want it if it don't have you in it. God without you Lord it's all waste. 
It's all for nothing. You have got to be in it. God needs to be the center of it all. God needs to be in all of it. God ought to be in every Sunday school room. God ought to be in every song that we sing. God ought to be in every offering that we take. Every Bible study that we teach. He ought to be in every school, every job, every home, every family, every individual in this place. You say, well, well, there's some parts of my life that I kind of keep private. Well, God needs to be in it. You say, well, my family, we like, we like our personal space. When we go home, we don't like anybody to bother us. God needs to be in it. You say, well, I'm going through some stuff right now, some financial. God needs to be in it. Amen. Because when God is in it, He can make anything possible. When God is in it, He doesn't care what the doctor report said. He said, I can make a way. I can heal you. I can save you. You've just got to let me be in it. You say, well, how do I make that happen? Well, it's simple in Revelation. He said, I stand at the door and I knock. I stand and I knock. And if any man, if anyone will hear me and come and open the door, I will come in. When Zacchaeus was up in that tree, he was doing all that he could to see Jesus because he knew Jesus would be Passing by that way. In Zacchaeus's mind, that's all that was there is Jesus is just going to pass by. I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning and family day and I believe God will be there, but he's just going to pass by. He's just going to make his way by my pew and I'm just going to get to see what he does for somebody else. But Jesus looked up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus, out of excitement, he he starts coming down and he starts saying, well, I'll repay debts and I'll do it more than what I took and I'll do this and I'll do that. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. Because you were willing to let me into your family. Because you were willing to let me come into your situation. And come down to where you live. Because you allowed me to do that. Salvation has come to your home today. Because you allowed me to get into what was going on in your life. You allowed me to get in involved with all the ingredients and components of your life. When you allowed me to step in. It didn't matter what else you had put in before that. When I went in there it made all the difference. When I went in there, it began to change things. When I went in there, it made all things new. I don't care the bad things you put in before. None of that matters now. When I went in, we emptied all of that out and cleaned it up. And we're about to serve you something wonderful. We're about to give you a promise. We're about to give you something that you can pass down to your families. Oh, I found something that's great. It'll take all your bad stuff. It'll take the ingredients that you put in and maybe it wasn't good things. Maybe there were some good deeds and prayers put in there. But when this went in there, oh, it made all the difference. It's that secret ingredient that we put in. It's that main ingredient that we put in that made all of the difference. It's not good enough for you to come and see him. That's great and wonderful. But God desired to be a guest in his home. God desires for you to let him in. And I beg you today to let him in. 
Let them into those private places in your life. Let them into those hurts and pains that you've buried. Let them into your situation. Let them into your finances. Let them into your job situation. Just say, God, I've tried and, and what I've done hasn't worked. God, I've put some stuff in and it's just a mess. God, but I'm asking you to step in. God, I'm asking you to reach down from heaven and put your hand in my life. God, and I want you to shake me and I want you to stir me. Joshua knew that without God, they would not be where they were. Joshua knew the importance of telling your children. He said there will come a day when grandma and grandpa will not be here anymore. There's going to come a day where there's going to be somebody there not holding your hand, walking you through this place. But you're going to be all by yourself walking past this place. And you need to be able to look up at that place. And if if nobody removes it, what we've done here today, it's a recipe. It's something that you can look to and know what God did. It's a place that you can come to and know, hey, my granddad was here. He told me about when those men put those rocks on their shoulders and began to walk across that Jordan. My grandma was there and she told me as she watched as God made a way for them to cross on dry ground. Your children are going to walk by this place. And without a sign, they will forget. But with this memorial, they will remember. And we can tell our children of all that God has done. Joshua knew if I do not share this and leave them a recipe to follow, then in future generations there will come a day where they will not be able to enjoy this as I have. You know when a family recipe gets lost, it's when somebody says, well, I don't need this anymore. I I realize how to make it. I'll just throw this in the trash. I know how to have church and I know how to worship and I know how to go through the routines and, and my kids should just be able to watch and pick up. No, your kids need to hear you not only praying at church, they need to hear you praying at home. They need to see you opening this word at home. They need to see memorials being built all across your house, all through your neighborhood, everywhere you go where they walk and they say, Oh, I know what this means. Mama told me what this means. Oh, I know what this altar is because Dad brought me here before church for prayer. I I know what this sanctuary is because it's a holy place. It's a sacred place dedicated to God. I know what this place is because my granddad told me so. It's, It's a memorial that has been built to remind me and my children and my grandchildren. Recipes get lost when it doesn't get passed down and Somebody says, well, I'll just keep it to myself. And they die never sharing that recipe. We stand all over this house. There are some who have come and they've tried to tweak this recipe. They've tried to make it better to their tasting. And I've come to tell you today, you cannot change perfection. The old saying, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is here. The proof is here. God is here. And that's all that you need to make it. That's all your family needs for God to get in and get involved. Is for you to be here and say, God, I let you in. I I want you being a component. God, not just a component, but the component. God, I want you to be the very thing, God, that takes my family from where we are. God, and pushes us into our destiny. That pushes us into our calling. God, that puts a burden on our family. God, to walk in our neighborhood. God, and begin to tell people of your goodness. 
God, I pray that today that your hand would reach down in this place. God, and that you would be in it. God, every life, every heart. There are people that say you can make it without God. There's doctors that tell you God cannot help you. There are people who will try to convince you there is no God. I've come to tell somebody this morning you cannot make it without God. You cannot be healed without God. You cannot be delivered without God. Your family will never survive without God. Jesus has got to be the center of it all. He's got to be that main focus. He's got to be what you wake up talking about, what you go to bed thinking about. It's got to be Jesus. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how great you think you've got it. If God is not in it, it is waste. You say, I I know they don't live according to the recipe, but what they have over there seems to be going pretty good. It seems like they're they're having good church over there, and they're they're having a good life over there, and their family seems to have it all together, and, and they're not living by what this says, but they seem to be doing just fine. The grass looks greener on the other side. The grass may look greener on the other side, and there may be some pretty things for you to look at and and appreciate and view. But the Bible tells us the grass withereth. That pretty green grass you're looking at over there thinking how wonderful that must be, it's going to fade away. The flowers and the wonderful things that you're viewing and appreciating, wishing you were over there because they just seem to have it. Wishing you had their family because their family seems so perfect. Wishing you had this. You know what? The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. So, honey, you just hold on to what you have right now because it's going to bring you through. I know right now you're going through some stuff, but God's asking you today if you'll let him in. He's saying, let me into your fiery furnace. Let me into your lion pit. Let me into that situation you're in, and I'm going to get you through. That thing that looks promising will be a shooting star here today and gone tomorrow. That thing that looks like it's prospering now, give it time and it'll be gone like yesterday's news. But this truth we talk about today, that if you put God in it, you will not just survive, you will thrive. You'll not just come to church casually because it's a habit. But you'll wake up on Sunday morning saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You'll wake up on Monday morning saying, His mercies are new every morning. You'll wake up on Tuesday saying, look what the Lord has done. You'll wake up on Wednesday morning and saying, all right, I get to go to Bible study tonight. I get to be in God's presence with God's people again. What a difference it makes when you allow God to be in your life. When God is in it, it's worth sharing. When the main thing remains the main thing in your life and all that you do comes to a close, you're going to be thankful. Live your lives and share this truth and do something that causes your children to ask, what meaneth this? What, what is it about this recipe that, 
that really got you? What is it about this that brought you to a church in the first place? What is it about this that taught you how to pray? I encourage you today, start family devotions in the home. Start family prayer in the home. Pass this recipe down and you will not regret it. I still have memories as a child of going into a prayer room before church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it didn't matter. We were in the prayer room before church and I sat right there beside my dad. And not just my dad, my granddad was in there and other men in the church. And I heard those men praying. I was raised hearing people around me praying. I was raised being taken to an altar and watching those grown men get down and kneel down and begin to pray and weep before God. Say, God, I need you in it. God, I need you in my family. God, I need you in my home. I need you in my job. And you know what? Some people, they're not afforded that privilege and opportunity. But if you are here today, you have the opportunity to be given a recipe. It's being passed down to you today for you to pick up and say, Okay, God, I want in on this family recipe. God, I want in on this main ingredient. God, I want you in my life. God, I want you in my struggle. I want you in my depression. I want you in my heartache. I want you in my tears. God, my family wasn't raised in church. God, my family doesn't know all about this. God, but if I can get hold of it today, God, then I can make sure that they get it. I can tell my children and my grandchildren, I open these altars today for somebody that's wanting to invite God in. For anybody that's saying, God, I want you in every part of my life. God, I want you in every part of my life. God, I want you in every word that I speak. God, I want you in every song that I sing. God, I want you, Lord, in everything that I do. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place this morning. Oh, God's wanting to come in. He's wanting to get involved in your life.